Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners. Welcome to Green Love Weekly Radio. And in studio, we have Jacob and Lalita. And we'll be taking you through till 8.30 this morning. And this morning's program's jam-packed with interviews. Um, Of course, in addition to news from Green Love Weekly newspaper, we have the first interview is with Subul, who is... um, from Geelong Socialist Alliance, and she and, she and, and Sarah have, are running in the local elections, council elections, and we will um, discuss that further in the interview. The second interview is at 7.45 with um, Habib from the Australian Burma Rohingya Organization with the crisis that's happening with the Muslims there. Um, 8.10, we have an interview with um, Lucho from Lesnad, which is the South Central American um, area where things are happening and it doesn't stop as, as long as Trump is there, I guess. And of course, we will talk about um, latest news. Okay, Jacob. Okay. Let's start the day. Um, so before um, before we um, begin with like any headline news, I'd like to acknowledge that um, Green Left Radio is being broadcast to you from um, the Wandry lands of the Kulin Nation um, and that it's always was, always will be um, Aboriginal land and sovereignty was never ceded. Well said. Yeah. So what's the news this morning? It's, it's okay. stuff all over the place, all sorts of news from mm. Trump to the floods and hurricanes and mm. tornadoes and whatever else. Well, I think um, I had plans that we could get started. I-, I can just talk about two things. Um, basically, probably listeners were probably following this with um, heavy anticipation, um, but it looks like the High Court challenge um, for the same-sex marriage survey has been struck down. Um, I think it's interesting because basically the whole um, survey, or ten- also known as, it's not really a plebiscite, but a, we refer to it. It's a postal. It's a postal. Um, for um, for, mar- um, for same-sex marriage is basically the government is basically, you know, you can kind of say that the government's basically just getting away with like spending millions of dollars just at, to use a delaying tactic to delay you know, same-sex marriage. And I think, though, coming out of the, you know, as bad as the survey is, it's going to be, as we've kind of said previously in the program, it's going to be important for people to mobilise um, for a very for a very big yes vote. And also we must continue mobilisations beyond getting that yes vote um, simply to because we have to keep the pressure on the government because, you know, you just simply can't trust the government will follow well, through. Look at what the High Court did. It seems like the High Court... 
um, you know, seems to me in the pockets of the government, which um, I'm saying it with tongue and cheek, because the whole system is is geared towards the ruling class, and that's a reflection of mm. uh, where the politicians have that influence, um, even though you don't see it directly. Um, you know, which judge wants to cross the government? It's very rare that you get judges crossing the government, and. I'm sure they had a lot of legal reasons they have um, found as to why they made the decision they did. Um, and the court is um, respected by majority of the people. Uh, I have my cynicism about it, but that's beside the point. Hmm. Um, you know, the whole system is geared towards the sun fairness. And what really annoys me is the debate is all the time about um, what will happen if this goes through. It, how it will affect us, our religious freedoms, freedom of speech. But what they don't even talk about is what's happened for all these decades, or probably even uh, centuries, when gay and lesbian communities were never given equality as even human beings. Mm. You know, gay men have been beaten to death by ultra-righters yep. and those religious nutters who can't even handle the concept of, of, of mm. the well, gay Well, um, those forces you refer to, the ultra-right, really it's the ultra-right that are kind of pushing against this issue, um, the far-right in the Liberal Party of especially. Course. Um, you know, And, of course, it's quite telling that um, the main issue, you know, if you look at the kind of no, the propaganda coming from the No campaign, it all focuses on the same safe sco- safe schools program, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which probably has nothing to do with marriage equality, and of course, um, it's a it's a completely reactionary, um, you know, attacking an anti bullying program. It's a so, human rights issue, hmm. and I can't see how a court can make a decision like this um, when the human rights of such a large proportion of people hmm. is being breached. It's just not right. And and any person comments, what's wrong? It's their choice. Hmm. It, it oh, yeah. just doesn't make sense to me. But anyway. Oh, yeah. Changing to the next um, other topic, um, what happened um, yesterday was there was actually a few um, thousands of early childcare workers um, walked That's off right. the job. Um, and so there was a rally held in Melbourne and also in other cities, from my understanding, like Canberra and Sydney. Um, so there were over, I was at the rally yesterday, and there was at least over 400 to 500 childcare workers um, who really just, um, who are rallying in basically to put pressure on the government for a 35% pay rise. Um, early childcare workers are paid literally only $20 an hour most of the time. Uh, I mean, there's some positions which might get paid slightly higher, but the pay is still ridiculously low, especially for a job um, that requires professional ed- um, study and education. Um, and, of course, it is very important work. Um, so and You should know. You're one of them. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm a, <laughs> I, I, work in that, um, I work in that industry as well. So although I work in after-school hours care, and my pay is actually reasonable. I get $28 an hour. Which yeah, you, but you didn't have to put it to air. Yeah. But the fact remains that majority of the childcare workers are not being mm. compensated adequately. And that's like, you know, LD pays people about $20, $21 an mm. hour. Where's your skill base there? Yeah. You know, it's a lot of manual work. And, of course, you know, different skills in, uh, attract different um, rates of pay. And childcare workers are professional people. They have yeah. to go to uni. They have got to pay, you know, 50, 60 grand to, to do their course. And they come out and earn $21 an hour. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, anyway. So that that's um, – but it's looking – 
coming out of the rally, they basically said that if if the the demands are not met, then they they get to shut down the whole industry down. Well, they're going to have to because they can't live on that wage. Mm. They must well go on the dole. You know, if, if this is how the government's got to manage mm. finances of the country, then that them that's yeah. the the same way. Funny because um, it seems like women are being attacked everywhere in, in England. Um, there's a, a big strike by nurses because uh, they are demanding a 14% wage rise as well. Hmm. And they haven't had a wage rise for years and years and years. And uh, they say that the the nursing industry in the UK is um, running at a huge da- shortfall. Hmm. They've got 40% less than what they need in the nursing industry. So this is not looking good for women around the world. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, the next story, and this is um, quite a big story happening, um, quite a big sort of struggle happening in the United States right now. Um, President Donald Trump has basically said they would drop the axe on a program that protects unauthorised immigrant young adults from deportation. Um, and just to give you a bit of a thing, this program is known as the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Programs. Um, DACA. DACA. Um, but, um, what this program does is it basically... This is, this is kind of... This is still a screwed up thing that still happens, but basically... If someone was to uh, illegally immigrate, I put that in quotes because I don't believe they are illegal immigrants. No, it's illegal. Um, yeah, they um, call them aliens. In yeah, the yeah. US. Um, <laughs> when they if they if they were to move um, to the United States and they were to have a child, um, that child that is born in the United States would be protected from deportation. Um, so basically, what Donald Trump is proposing is that. That whole program, um, that whole law is scrapped altogether. Yeah, it's another category, though. There are children who came. Mm. Uh, they came to the U.S. as the, you know minors. Mm. He wants to deport all of them too. Yes. They've been there for years and years, and they probably don't even remember the the original homeland. Yeah. You know? yeah. So that also um, the program also applies for those um, for children born, who are also yeah. um, great in addition sure. to those who were born. So in um, basically in response, there's been massive protests. Um, with um, in the case of Washington D.C. as it's reported here. Protesters poured out in front of the White House to defend the, uh, DACA and voiced their outrage over the cancellation of the program. While in Manhattan, um, New York, several were arrested after locking arms to block traffic in front of Trump Tower. Protests continued to unfold across the country late in the night. Um, so they, it's probably there's probably still protests happening as we speak right now, mm. depending on what time it is in the United States, although there's different states and time. Yeah, so I think... <laughs> It's definitely, uh, it's definitely, you know, just it's heartbreaking. Like, yeah, you know, for these people who who see the U.S. as their home, um, to then be asked to go back um, to a country that they don't even remember or don't know. It's just very, very cruel. But anyway, yeah. moving on. Um, the next story is just a brief um, story on the Philippines. Oh, um, God. Yeah. So this is um, printed in the latest Green Left Weekly, a short article. Um, as Stuart Monkton here writes, in a move reminiscent of Australia's infamous um, military ties to indigenous, in, 
Indonesia's murderous um, Suharto dictatorship, Foreign Minister Julie Bishop announced on September 1 that Australia would send special forces to the Philippines. Mm. Um, the justification... Only for support, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, but the justification for this move is to combat Islamists on the southern islands of Mandano? Mindano. Mandano. Mindanao. Uh, Mindanao. Okay. Uh, and however, um, the murderous um, President um, Rod... Rodrigo um, Duterte has used the presence of Islamists in the region to impose martial law over the island in what progressive activists fear is a prelude to imposing martial law over the entire country as the former um, Marcos dictatorship did. Uh, so this this announcement came a few days after um, Australian Secret Intelligence Service Director General Nick um, Warner publicly fist bumped today, whose human rights abuses have caused widespread alarm. Um, just to give a bit more inf- inf- information, under Turtay's regime, police and vigilantes openly encouraged by the presence. Of- extortion to kill alleged drug users and alleged small-time pushers have carried out thousands of extrajudiciary judiciary killings. Um, And Duterte has publicly suggested drug users should be exterminated in the same ways that the as the Nazis sought to exterminate Jews and questioned whether drug users could be considered as humans. I wonder if he thinks he's Hitler. Mm, so that, that's what's happening in the Philippines. Um, we might just play a quick announcement at this point and I'll go get the next interview, first interview of the program ready. I actually play a song. Welcome back, listeners. You're tuned into Green Africa in 3CR and uh, Jacob and Lalita at the studio um, taking you through 
and that was um, Jenny Murray. I'm trying to get his name right. Um, Jeffrey Grimmel, Unipingu, of course, with his um, haunting voice, uh, beautiful voice. And we are moving on to the next interview. And we have uh, Sue Bull from Geelong, who's standing in the local state uh, council elections that's coming up soon. So good morning, Sue. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Okay. Tell us when the elections and um, why are you standing, all those things. Well, okay, so the it's, it's all a rather fascinating situation. Yes. <laughs> the Geelong Council was sacked last year, and it was sacked in April of last year by the state government um, on the grounds of, well, predominantly on the grounds of bullying, but also sort of some allegations of corruption. And the there'd been an investigation, and the investigator, Susan Hopgood, had found that there was... Um, very serious grounds for, for bullying. But interestingly, while the report was released, we never actually knew who the, who had done the bullying. And so there was lots of assumptions and um, there was also quite a high dislike in some areas of the, of the mayor at the time, the rather infamous Darren Lyons. Yes, of course. And so there were many in the community that welcomed sacking because there was also a belief that the council had really got nothing done at fault all the time, um, really you know, achieved very little... Interestingly, um, a year and a half later, whilst there had been some support for the administrators that had come in, they also have been under attack because it seems that they've rorted their travel claims <laughs> in oh, thousands dear. and thousands on travel. And they have done some things that the community thinks is quite good, but generally our feeling in Socialist Alliance was that it was a pretty undemocratic procedure. The council and the mayor had been directly elected by the people of Geelong and then summarily dismissed. We never knew exactly why. There was sort of all the general sorts of things, but um, there wasn't a lot of detail as to what had actually happened. And the suspicion had always been, well, certainly on our part, that it was um, to fit a political agenda. And one of the political agendas was that um, there were elements that had never been happy with the directly elected mayor. Um, that position had largely been one that was. Um, had, it's only there'd only ever been two directly directly elected mayors, but they had certainly been won by people who had lots and lots of money, and maybe only the rich could ever be successful in achieving that um, position. There's three hundred thousand odd voters in Geelong, so we do need a lot of money to actually make a real splash. So. We always thought that maybe, in socialist lights, we always thought that mm, perhaps it was actually to do with political agenda um, in that the various mayors had been very powerful in opposing um, certainly the Labor Party and their interests, and they'd been very political too. So tell me, Sue, this position of mayor, is there a difference in the role of directly elected mayor as opposed to other processes, whether the councillors get together and take turns become mayors or not? So that's a slightly different process. So are there differences in the roles played by either um, the product of either of those processes? Well, it's it's hard to know. It does appear certainly under Darren Lyons that um, I don't... It, was, it did seem to be very hard for the council and the mayor to work together. Mm. And it seemed to be something to do with their various processes of accountability and all of that sort of thing. Mm. 
Mm. So when the, oh sorry sorry no no I was just saying because they're directly elected they seem to be a, a lot more powerful you think I think so but you know even that's a little bit um, misleading because it would appear that in actual fact the the CEO and the people that actually the unelected people that run the council possibly have more power than anybody else and that's usually <laughs> the case isn't it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the public so, servants I, I mean maybe I'm speaking that's it, that's it maybe I'm speaking as an outsider and I, I don't know but it would appear that that would be part of it and certainly some of the allegations of bullying were not necessarily against elected people mm, yeah um, brings to so, mind the uh, you know the um, yes minister series when you're talking yeah, about the yeah 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 so I mean Look, look, we're not standing on the outside and saying there were no problems. Um, there certainly were problems. And when they got the citizens' jury together late last year and early this year um, and they um, put forward a proposal to get rid of the directly elected mayor, um, I have to say we're, yeah, we're genuinely supportive of that because certainly it didn't appear to be a terribly successful position in terms of getting things done for the people of Geelong, i.e. the residents, you know, and... And, and that's really what we've been on about. We don't think that any of the councils in recent years have paid any attention to the services and the needs of people in Geelong. They're far more interested in development and planning and those sorts of things. So <laughs> yeah, that's it's always, always been our criticism. Yeah, it, it always um, has been a query in my mind whether these councillors who are elected are supported by... Uh, maybe people in the state government so that they can get through certain infrastructure um, plan that they want to to put in place or even the federal government for that matter. There's always yeah. a suspicion, you know, so how, how is it that such, some councillors get elected so overwhelmingly but others struggle? Like, I mean, yourself, you, you've stood for elections a few times and it's been a struggle, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Look, I love the way it's down here. Almost nobody will say what party they represent when they run for council. Everyone's supposedly an independent. And yet so clearly they represent, once they're in, levels of vested interest, whether mm. it's you know in political parties or whether it's for big business or medium-sized business or whatever. They really do appear to um, represent vested interests. And yet, laughingly... People like ourselves and the Greens and whatnot are always accused of representing vested interests. <laughs> Which is what? The people? <laughs> well, people. Mm. <laughs> Good God. Interesting. And, and, of course, no, it's also that, you know, the wacky, you know, wacky things like get, wanting to get rid of Australia Day and, and equal marriage and all of those sort of things, which are nothing to do with local councils. You know, there's all of that sort of mm. allegation from the... Yeah. Conservatives, and they've even said it. They've even said it in the local papers down here. Mm. Uh, Sue, I have a question to you, just to give a bit of a background. Um, what are kind of like the local issues um, that are sort of being contested um, around this um, um, local council election campaign, um, especially the issues that people probably are most concerned about? Yeah, no, really, really good point. Um, oh, sorry, and I neglected to say that the, the elections actually begin in September. And there, it's a postal ballot, and um, it's counted on the 28th of October. So that's the period that we're looking at. Um, okay, local issues. Um, well, you've got to you've got to look at it in a in a background of where Geelong has immense unemployment and has lost lots of local um, industries, and th that these these sort of things certainly have a rippling effect. So we've got 
high unemployment, especially youth unemployment. Um, we've got all the things that are attendant upon um, poverty, like you know, uh, high levels of drug abuse um, and violence in certain areas. Um, you know, which are no different from lots of other communities, but it's big here because you've got this sort of grinding unemployment that's had a really big impact on the area. Now, council's not directly related to big job creation or, or all those sort of things, but it, it is involved in all of the discussions about job creation, service creation, and certainly does provide some services. So they actually are issues. But it's overwhelmed by lots of discussions about downtown Geelong and what downtown Geelong looks like, <laughs> which if you've been here, parts of downtown, the city of Geelong, are really um, lots of closed up shops, shops, a fair bit of, you know, demoralisation really. So unfortunately, a lot of the discussion has been overwhelmed about what we're going to do about downtown Geelong. And once again, that's all you know, de development and planning issues. Now, we're not agnostic on this because there is a discussion to be had. In the middle of Geelong's bisected by a road where B-doubles drive down the middle of the shopping centre. Mm. So, you know, we're, we're, of course, we want to be part of that discussion because that, that, that really is a quality of life discussion. So we do want to see areas return to pedestrians and bicycles and all that sort of thing. So we want to be part of that debate and that's a genuine debate. But I think, to be honest, I think that there's so many more issues that Geelong Council doesn't seem to even touch, like housing. You know, oh, that's not a council issue, so don't talk about housing. It's, there's a chronic problem down here, as there are in many Australian cities. Mm, we want to put that on the agenda. Mm. Oh, the environment. There is talk about environment, but a lot of it's lip service. <laughs> it's not really a lot that the council does. Like, they put out a thing recently saying that the recycling that Geelong Council does all goes to reputable businesses. But when you look up some of these reputable businesses, <laughs> they're the very ones that are hoarding stuff in, in broad meadows, which, you know, goes nowhere. Yep. It just sits there for, I don't know, months, years, whatever. I think we should have investigations into this and actually find out where Geelong's rubbish is going and what's happening to it. Hmm. And, and tell me, Sue, um, as a socialist, what is a, a perspective that's different that you and Sarah will be bringing to this position if elected? Well, see, the thing is, I, I really think council positions, and indeed all elected positions, should be used to campaign and promote the interests of working-class people. And I don't think any previous Geelong councillors really saw their council positions as campaigning positions. So, like, just to give you an example, um, there's been very little, there's been discussion down here about the rates and the rate capping, and most people say they support the rate capping and so on. Well, one of the problems with rate capping is that councils have got less and less money, which means they have to get rid of services. So they got rid of Meals on Wheels down here. Oh. Um, so we do want to have a discussion about that, about, you know, where does the money come from? But then the poor people have to pay as much as rich people. So we're going to put out a policy and a, and a call to increase the subsidy for those on low incomes, not just the elderly, but all people on low incomes, which may mean that, therefore, how much rates other people pay has to increase, you know, proportionally. I mean, we don't know all the answers here, but there has to be at least a public discussion about it, a big business coming in and saying, and that's what they do. 
No, no. Rate capping has to stay. No increase on rates. Yeah, it's like a very rigid um, rule, isn't it? Yeah, and I think I think as socialists we should be putting out those discussions. Hmm. And how do you think you can um, actually involve the people? Because most people are, you know, disengaged, although things are hotting up a little bit. Only yesterday I saw on TV there was talk about Marxism and um, there was a uh, proposal discussed in, um, I think it was a drum, if I if I remember correctly, about how young people are actually turning to Marxism because they're disillusioned with capitalism as such and there's some hot debate around it. So, you know, it's... It, is that what you're aiming at? Are you hoping to mobilise people around the issues that affect them? Uh, because what I can see, like, for example, in the, uh, the council, you know, where I live in and, and the neighbouring council, uh, Moreland, um, there's, there's some movement around issues. But again, uh, Sue Bolton, or our friend and colleague, is, is uh, leading up that sort of participation. Do you hope to do similar things in Geelong if um, you get into a position? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. Yes. <laughs> yes is the short answer. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that Sue did that I think we would really want to do, and it, it, it goes to the heart of what you're talking about, I think, is Sue actually gets out there, letterboxes all the people in a local area, calls them to a meeting to find out what they believe are the local issues mm. and talks to them about her ideas, and she gets a great response because she sees herself as representing the people but also as helping to lead them, um, you know, to fight for their best interests. Now, it's really interesting, down here in the last by-election that I ran in, everyone, everyone sort of said, oh, yes, that's, a, that's the sort of thing we should be doing. They never did it. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's little little bits of community meetings, but they never really see that as a critical way forward mm. for residents to be empowered and part of fighting for their own best interests. Um, I think we would have to do that. I think that would be very critical that we do that. Mm. And the way the, the new boundaries have been drawn, the, the, the one that myself and Sarah Hathaway, because we're running together... The, it's the, the ward that we're in is called Brownville, and it now has big sections of very working-class people, some still in public housing. Um, and, and I think that it's critical that we start to help those people um, put forward their best interests and find ways to do that. Okay, on that note, we're going to have to uh, wind up. Thank you very much for being up so early in the morning to have a chat to us, and good luck with the elections and hope your message gets through to the people who, to whom it matters most. Oh, thanks, Lali, and thanks, Jacob. Thank mm. you. Thank you. I'm Tash Sultana, and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. Green Left Radio. The Independent and Peaceful Australia Network presents War, Peace and Independence. Keep Australia out of US wars. Amidst an escalating threat of another major war breaking out, this timely conference will be held in Melbourne from the 8th to the 10th of September. 
The conference will address the struggle against U.S. bases, drone warfare, peace as union business, U.S. political and military influence, and much more. For details and bookings, head to ipan.org.au or go to the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network's Facebook page. A 3CR supporter. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Patman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. So tune in to 3CR Community Radio 8.55 on your AM dial on Thursday afternoon from 3.30 until 4 o'clock. And let's get radical about philosophy. Hello? Listen, I had a great idea. Male chauvinist pig versus hairy-legged feminist. You're still a feminist, right? I'm a tennis player who happens to be a woman. The battle you've all been waiting to see. The battle of the sexes. You want to see it, right? Then get along and support 3CR at the Palace Withgarth Cinemas, 89 High Street, Northcote, on Thursday, October 5th, from 6.30pm. For a screening of Battle of the Sexes. You're offering the men's winner eight times what you're offering the women's winner. The men are simply more exciting to watch. It's just biology. <laughs> the story of the infamous tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. Tickets are $25 and $20 concession. You can purchase online at 3cr.org.au, direct from the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or by phoning 9419 8377 during business hours. All funds raised go to keeping 3CR on air. Battle of the Sexes screening, Thursday, October the 5th from 6.30pm. Does she have the nerve? Call Barbie. Time it's on. Welcome back to Green Life Weekly Radio. Um, and we were just having a conversation with Subul um, about her nomination um, to the local council election, council elections, and she is representing the Socialist Alliance. Okay, we're moving on to more news. Um, it's it's not splashed across the media, but there's something really sinister happening here with the Rape and Domestic Violence Services in Australia, which is shortened to RDVSA. On the 30th of August, <coughs> excuse me, um, it announced it would, it would withdraw uh, as a service provider from the 1-800-RESPECT trauma counselling service. Apparently, the federal government, um, this federal government hotline is now is in crisis because the announcement punctuates a struggle waged by the RDVSA workers to maintain the hotline as a non-profit specialist counselling service in the face of a push for um, push by the managing company, Medibank Health Solutions, MHS, towards privatization. After MHS subcontracted with um, IDBSA, uh, the contracts expired in June, and the Medicare Health Solutions put the contract out to tender with new contract providers. By um, instituting a new service plan, the MHS plan to double its profit from sexual assault and domestic violence over the next five years, an announcement the unionized specialist trauma counseling workers of 1-800-RESPECT hotline could not accept. 
So mm. what they've done is uh, the first response um, operators who work until recently at, at the call center say that MHS profit-driven service model has compromised the quality of service to domestic violence survivors who call um, the hotline um, in critical situations seeking urgent help. So as a response to increasing demand on the service, MHS began implementing a cost-cutting process and um, of operators answering call, callers first and only redirecting them to a trained trauma counsellor after assessing this situation so you don't get a direct conversation with the counsellor. So that is, you know... Um, Cutting a knot to spite your face, really. So the government uh, claims that only a quarter of the callers to the hotline require specialist counselling, but the counselling workers say that almost all callers do. Um, so that's an interesting um, thing to say by the government to say, you know, say that oh, people call and they don't need counselling. It's just a misrepresentation of what. Um, rape is or people feel that they've been violated and and for a bunch of men, especially from the government sector uh, and a few women thrown in probably who don't understand anything about these services to now um, set about to um, prioritise profits as opposed to offering proper counselling. So it's going to be um, a devastating blow um, to a service that has had a good reputation. And the, the, the key thing is it's been remembered well. In the 1-800-RESPECT has been a well-used um, service. And um, I was going to read something here. The New South Wales Secretary for the Australian Services Union, Natalie Lang, had said that the needs of the people calling are not being properly identified if they are being rushed off the phone, which is what they are doing when you've got the service-based on answering calls in the minimal amount of time. So it's, again, like a real call mm. center type model, which is rush, rush, rush. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's just, I think it's um, disrespectful and also ignoring uh, the amount of trauma suffered by people yep. who are violated. It's just not right. Just want to read that. Okay, the other thing I wanted to look at, which, um, sorry, folks, about the rustling of the paper. I didn't mean to do that. Um, is on the 14th of August, again, a women's issue. I guess rape is not just a uh, female issue. It's a men sufferer too, although they may be the minority, but it's an issue across Mm. the genders. Well, it's it's more more the issue disproportionately affects women. That's right. uh, Underpaid women. Well put. Yeah, but then we also have to include other genders. Mm. Then, uh, you know, as as we are campaigning for mm. uh, marriage equality, then, you know, we have to be uh, mm. cognizant of, the, of all genders. Okay, so uh, another news about another women's issue, which is the notoriously abortion issue. So New South Wales abortion conviction, um, late abortions and right to choose. So the ruling... Um, highlights that the abortion in New South Wales without a doctor's agreement is a crime and sets a dangerous precedent for women of any pregnancy gestation. So this is written by Kamala Emanuel, who's actually a doctor, and she has worked in this area for many, many years, in fact, decades. So a 30-year-old woman was found guilty of attempting abortion um, and sent her to three-year good behavior bond. The The court record record um, describes the circumstances but leaves important questions unanswered. 
So the case seems to have polarized people who generally support abortion rights because the woman was 28 weeks pregnant when she was seeking help. However, the case shows how treating abortion as a crime, as it is in New South Wales, rather than a health issue, is determined detrimental to women. So the um, Blacktown magistrate, Jeffrey Hyatt, ruled that the woman had um, clear intent to um, procure a miscarriage and that under the New South Wales Crimes Act, it is an offence for a pregnant woman to administer any drugs or noxious things or unlawfully use any instruments or other means with the intention of procuring a miscarriage. So the women's defence lawyers contended that their client could not be found guilty because the fetus survived. But Hyatt said it makes no difference whether the fetus survives independently or not outside the womb. It was his job to apply the law. So it's it's a fairly long and involved article, but this ugly um, debate where a bunch of men, again, decide on women's rights and women's uh, body and what they do with it is um, paramount in this case because it's constant and has been constant for decades, centuries probably, mm. where women just don't have the right over this issue. It's just appalling. But I leave it to listeners to either uh, buy the paper and, and read it in full or you can look it up online as well. And hopefully you'll um, subscribe to the newspaper, which this is an issue that's not been covered by the mainstream media at all. Um, <clears throat> now, moving on to the, um, I know this is this news has been, I guess, um, in some people's minds, done to its death. But um, the two issues, ongoing, never-ending. One is the gay rights issue. Excuse me, sorry. Marriage equality. Get this the language right. Marriage equality. Um, of course, activists um, want to win this. And there's seven ways how you can help. And I thought I'll read it out to you. One, hit the streets. Uh, the most important thing is you get out and talk to people. Um, discuss the issue. Educate yourself. Inform yourself because the vote is coming up. Um, and that's important. Number two, wear the colors. Um, there's lots of um, multicolored um, things around, whether it's, it's banners or whether it's capes or whether it's flags or, or whether it is um, shirts, skirts, leggings, whatever. Wear your colors and say it loud um, is the next one, which is um, post on Facebook, do all the social media stuff, um, you know, exchange views, um, share views. Um, as to and, and discuss it even you know it's really important to exchange views uh, and fully understand why this battle is such a vicious battle between the people and the bureaucrats, the bureaucrats really are right the, uh, the the religious right wing in the government um, number four painting rainbow put the posters on the center in the center put um, there's a poster in the, in the center as a center spread of Green Life Weekly uh, newspaper that we've put out that you can use. Um, you can always ring up and, and get a poster if you want. Just, <clears throat> excuse me, get all the posters anywhere really and um, put it on your window, you know, in front of, in your front yard, put it on your car, stickers, whatever it is. Just make it an issue that you are letting people know that you support. Selfies, get together with groups of friends, workmates, classmates, family members, say yes to equality, um, and, and again, post on Facebook on, uh, with your selfies. Uh, 
become an activist so you can get involved. Um, there are lots of rallies coming up and we'll read through all of them later on. It's really, really important that we support it. 3CR supports it fully. And uh, we want this um, vote to win. And unless we get out and vote, we're not going to get anywhere um, because the right is organized and they will mobilize, whether it's through the churches or through the conservative, whatever organizations they belong to, they will mobilize. And we have to counter-mobilize. Otherwise, we will lose the vote. It is really, really important. So don't despair. Uh, the more people vote yes, the better chance of this issue being won. Um, <clears throat> So the no, the seventh um, step, of course, is to vote. Make sure you turn up, you know. Um, not turn up. It's not, it's not election, is it? So the ballot will be sent to you, I think, in a couple of weeks. Apparently the um, – I'm not sure which, which part of the government is doing it, but they have already spent – the government has spent $14 million preparing for the postal ballots already. They're ready to run. So next Tuesday, the ballot's being posted out. So obviously they were expecting a uh, a victory from the court case. All right, I let you ponder over those seven points while we go to the next interview, and it is um, Habib. I'm sorry, I don't know his surname, but we will get that in a minute from the Australia Burma Rohingya Organisation. Good morning, Habib. Yeah, good morning. Welcome to 3CI and thank you for making yourself available. Um, sorry, we should yeah. get your surname so we get this right, yeah? Uh, yeah, my, actually my full name is Habibur Rahman, so Rahman. I don't have surname, yeah. Okay, um, Habibur Rahman's good. Okay, um, and you are a spokesperson for the Australian Burma Rohingya Organization. Yeah, yeah Australian Burmese uh, Rohingya Organization based okay. in Melbourne. Yeah. So can you tell us, um, because it's been in the news um, pretty much, you know, um, about, you know, about what's happening on um, to the Rohingya and Kamin people who are basically facing ongoing genocide in um, Rakhine, which is, I mean, they're a state in Western Manama or Mima in Burma. Um, can yeah. you tell us a bit about the background of w- what's happening and we can move on from there? Uh, yeah, what happened is like from uh, the, uh, the 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 government uh, from 11 of August. So the security uh, forces and joint forces uh, had been beefing beefing up in uh, the north the northern region of uh, the Rakhine state, and the authority started uh, looting and and blocking uh, the food and extortion and arrest of uh, the Rohingya youths and also like uh, rapes and many, many other forms of abuse has been conducted from 11th of August. So, so on, the, on the 25th of August, there has been uh, the confrontation they faced with uh, the small uh, the Rohingya armed resistance group. Uh, they, they started uh, the driving out of this uh, the authority from their village, so so that has been make an opportunity for the government and and the uh, the armed forces to resume the uh, the genocidal attack against the entire community. So they 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 uh, like uh, they heavily responded indiscriminately using tank heli- uh, the fight helicopter. And, and truck and firing launcher. 
so regardless of women, children, elderly people, so so they they just burn down village to village. So it is like uh, uh, it doesn't matter whether they, there is like a Rohingya arm resistance group exists in the village or not. They just started firing one village to one after one after one. So so they burn down within uh, seven days. They burn, yeah they burn down more than 56 uh, village. Uh, in Mount Obutidao and Ratidao and killing more than 3,000 people. And and even women and children and elderly people, those are trying to flee from the house. We are shot dead and children, we are beheaded. And then also the, the like, uh, some people, we are taken away and slashed uh, and thrown into the water and, and hiding the bodies. So they just started, uh, like it is like mass killing. Uh, so that that uh, that cost like uh, nearly two hundred thousand people has been displaced, and uh, about a hundred thousand of them have been uh, crossing near the border, and about seventy thousand people who are trapped in the mountain nearby Butidao and Ratidao. So it, it is like um, a mass mass uh, displacement and mass killing of uh, Rohingya population uh, by the government authority and joint forces. Uh, tell me, um, Habib. You know, we I understand that over 140,000 Rohingyas are being um, persecuted by the Burmese Army uh, Armed Forces. There's mul- there are lots of different elements to this. Sorry, I'll just ask the question. Um, give us a feel for the history of the Rohingya people because they've been living in that area for a couple of centuries or more. Why is there, I know that I've, I actually interviewed somebody from the Rohingya community in Sydney uh, about three or four years ago, and the situation was similar, but it's now it's getting worse. But give us a little bit of feel for the history. Why is it that the Rohingyas are being alienated in Burma, despite the fact they've lived there for so many years? Yeah, so, uh, so first I will explain about 140,000 those are in the camp. So that was actually uh, displacement uh, come from uh, J- June 2012, uh, where like uh, more than 25,000 houses has been burned down right, across yeah, uh, yeah across uh, the nine township. Uh, at the time, also thousands of Rohingya and Khmer people has been killed, and and this displacement was like uh, the state-sponsored genocide. Uh, they started uh, by you by using of Rakhine people, not uh, the what say the, the government authority. It is different. Like in Rohingya the, uh, dominated region, the the authority and joint forces are are, are attacking Rohingya. But those area where Rohingya are minority, the government forces uh, utilize Rakhine people to attack Rohingya and Khmer people. So, uh, so those from those displaced people, nearly 150,000 people has been pushed into 42 concentration camps across the uh, the Arkana state. So they've been kept in there for more than five years, and the rest, about one million, those are not displaced, are also systematically confined. The, mm. the village has been put put by security forces, and the government authority blocked aid delivery, water and electric uh, city supply. The buyers segregated uh, from the the community, and they are not allowed to have uh, to start their livelihood and banned for permanently banned from education, medication, and their livelihood. And and if you look back to the history, so actually, like many uh, the news and writer they are writing about Rohingya had been in there for generations, but that is not true. We actually, the Rohingya are native combat because Arkan was originally king, uh, the Hindu's kingdom until ninth century. So the people are native combat to Muslim. Hmm. So originally they are Hindu's people in Arkan. 
and so they are native combat and so that means like they are not they don't come from other countries but they are native combat native, and they yes. become muslim yeah. yeah so they become muslim so they've been in there from uh, seventh uh, i have to say like they are the rohingya started from seventh century mm. uh, when uh, yeah, arab seafar boat has been cracked and wrecked in there and they said come to settle in there and some people has been started combating to muslim so that mean rohingya are rooted from there so that mean like combated like uh, combated to rohingya or combated to muslim i have to say not the people are migrated because the people are originally like hindus uh, people and it was ruled by hindus uh, kingdom until 9th century and 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 that was independent kingdom and when uh, bamen came uh, the border invaded alkan during 1784 so the, the the people has been fled to there and after british come to occupy the territory in 1824 the kingdom has been fallen into part of uh, british and then when british handed over the independence to the burma and so part of this uh, territory has been fallen into part of the burma territory uh, regardless of ethnic community and people are uh, the uh, they wanted or not wanted the the land has been fallen into part of the burma territory and and the government today claiming that these people are not belong to bama but yes the land are part of the territory of bama and and, and it, it, there is also like another uh, the uh, the issue is like 1982 citizenship law uh, we have uh, the 143 ethnic group recognized uh, during 1962 by the unu government a uh, democratically elected uh, government and and at the time we have 143 ethnic group when military came to power they reduced to 135 and when we have last tensing government they increase again to 136 to 137 and when the suchi government came to power she saying again that 135 but actually when you look back to 1982 citizenship law uh, rohingya are still qualify under that new uh, 1982 citizenship law but the problem is the authority who are uh, who are intentionally uh, reluctant Uh, to uh, accept rohingya identity rohingya historical and ancestral abidance primary and secondary because rohingya has abidance that they've been there for, uh, before uh, uh, the british occupation of 1824 mm. if you look back they are forefather they are historical building and they've been there existence since generation so even they they go through uh, these through uh, 1982 citizenship law they are still qualified to be but the problem is because of their muslim they are not accepted not not about like they are not exist or they don't have a bidens but yes they have a bidens the government has that's why they destroying identity they burn down the villages they destroy all of their historical building and and now their houses has been burned down even the document what they have in the past even some people have documented during the british uh, uh, territorial rule and this all has been seized and now the people has been driving out if you ask from them now they have to prove they have nothing left mm. so they could not prove the thing is because of they are muslim the government unwilling to accept them they they, they have the government has well planned that they want to they want to wipe out the entire muslim uh, community from uh, the rakhine state Okay let's say Rohingya are not recognized in there it doesn't mean like they will be killed they will be shot that because of they are foreigner they, they will be like slashed it is not like meaning that way and then we have another community not only Rohingya we have another community called Khmer and uh, the ethnic group they are recognized in 135 ethnic group and we have other muslim community like about 13 group of muslim community across entire Burma mm. so why they are not given citizenship 
why not only Rohingya, then why they are not given citizenship? If, if so, the Rohingya are not uh, the they belong to Burma, then why other groups those are belong to uh, belong to and and recognize uh, within 135 ethnic group, but they are not also given. And even like Khmer people, those are in Rakhine State, those are recognized uh, in 135 ethnic group. They are also displaced and they are pushed into uh, the camp and they also level as Bengali. The government calling even Rohingya or Khmer, whoever living Muslim community in Rakhine State, they all has been branded as a Bengali and they are not given any kind of citizenship and they've been pushed into concentration camp. And, and also if you look after when the violence started in June 2012, and during uh, the the August, the government invited UNHCR the uh, head and and Tengsin government uh, willing to hand it over all entire Muslim community to find another start country. So they say oh, they are happy to hand it over in UNHCR to find uh, the resettlement for the them. So that is very clear how the the, the government central government. And they are they are intention that they, they don't want Muslim uh, population Muslim people in that region. So it is like the government plan that they want to wipe up entire community from that region. So you think this is more a religious war from the 80s, in fact. And the t- the two points I wanted to clarify: one is the war started way before this terrorist fear that that is dominating the world these days against Muslims. Um, and also the other thing is. Is it is it also because Rohingyas may be the largest um, ethnic uh, community there, or they shouldn't even be called the ethnic community? They they have a very large population compared to the other ethnic groups. Will that be right? No, the Rakhine are the first, uh, the majority group, and Rohingya becomes second majority majority group in Rakhine state. But Rakhine, the Rakhines are Buddhists, right? Yeah, yeah, Rakhine are Buddhists and Rohingya are Muslim. So Rohingya are second largest group. And 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 it has nothing to do with their uh, their armed insurgency or whether they are terrorists or not. Because in Burma there is no terrorist group in Burma. That's right. If you look back to the other four, 43 other armed ethnic group we have in Shan, Kashin, and Shan, because of the, the these armed resistance group are exist, they are still recognized in Burma. So so if if so when at the time Rohingya have uh, the insurgency group or armed ethnic. Um, armed group uh, during 1962, before 1962, so Rohingya has been recognized and they've been given full opportunity, full uh, like full chances, full rights, equal rights like other ethnic minorities. So the same thing like Shan, Kashin, Karan, and and other ethnic group in Burma. So 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 it doesn't mean because of Rohingya have armed ethnic group they should be clear. So by then why they they the why that before Rohingya don't have armed ethnic group why they they've been cleaned up and why they've been targeted? Let's say for example, uh, the 1949 and 1978 again in 1992 again in 1994 95 again in June 2012 why they targeted them at the time we don't have even armed ethnic group in Burma. Mm. Mm. Okay, tell us, um, Habib, what is it? that you would like, or how would you like listeners to be able to support the struggle? Because it's um, reported, but we don't know exactly how to mobilize around supporting the Rohingyas. Yeah, the problem is like uh, in Rakhine State, like the Rohingya has been completely uh, divided, excluded, segregated. There is no phone, no electric supply, no water, no communication. The foreign journalists are not allowed. The government cut off everything. The, the government cut off with uh, disconnected and cut off with uh, international uh, the 
media and international journalists even food of uh, like food delivery and UN UN staff we are not even allowed to travel into there uh, since to the 25th of August now the all the food uh, the supply has been cut off now the people are completely trapped in there even whoever come from wherever they 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 are not allowed to travel into there even uh, United Nations uh, staff or diplomat when they travel into there the authority guided them so after they put red carpet on there they are travel to allow into those areas so that is completely different if we compare to other regions so and and we have like nearly 1 million people now uh, trapped in Rakhine state so this this really need international solution uh, not only just food and its supply yes of course it is like for short term it is important but for the long term solution these people has been trapped and they are awake for die. They will die anyway in, from starvation and from the, the, the plan that the government has created. So, so this needs to be solved in line with international uh, the interference uh, by United Nations Security Council uh, the, uh, deploying the peacekeeping force or the pressure rising effectively and solidly uh, the approaching to the government. They leave all kind of restrictions. They leave all kind of abuses and crime. So, so like uh, easing the humanitarian crisis, so they can leave like other people. So that is only solution. If not, uh, there is no other solution because uh, the, the the system, the way that's happening, it is like uh, the is a total destruction of a community uh, with uh, whatever possible effort. So, mm. so sorry, no sorry. Can that. I just stop you there for a minute? Uh, what I want yeah. to know. Uh, what I really wanted uh, you to tell us is how can the Australian population, people who are listeners to this radio show at least, can help? Is there a petition? Is there a website? Um, do you have meetings? Is there an organization they can come to and talk to people um, that you can tell us about? Um, yeah, like if Australian community, uh, like the way now we are, like, uh, we are demanding, uh, we have a uh, whole uh, many rally across Sydney and also in uh, Melbourne and in other people in around the world. So if Australian government and part, the Australian political party, they all can and, and raise these voices with Australian government uh, to join hand with United Nations Security Council uh, to interfere in this issue. So uh, and also. The Australia joined hand with in delivering aid uh, and and food on the ground, and so this will be the only solution that we see at the moment. Mm. So I believe there's a, um, a rally for the Rohingya Muslim uh, community at the State Library this Saturday at 2 p.m. And I believe you're part of the organising committee. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been organized by uh, the Islamic Council of Victoria. But the thing is, like, we don't have power. We just uh, ask in demand. We just simply ask for the government to interfere, the government to speak out about our people, and the, the government to help our people in Rakhine State. But sure. it is much depend on the, the government that uh, they are really uh, need uh, the, the assistance from this government. Because only the government around the world and developed nation and United Nations, they can solve this issue. Okay. Thank you so much, Habib. Um, that's very informative. Um, we'll get back to you and keep tabs on what's happening. <clears throat> and if you, um, you know, want to let us know about any other rallies, please let us know. Yeah. Thank okay, you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you Bye. Bye. Okay. Um, so we shall go to some announcements. While I'm going to play this one again, this is an important one, before we go on to the activist calendar. Hello? Listen, I had a great idea. 
Male chauvinist pig versus hairy-legged feminist. You're still a feminist, right? I'm a tennis player who happens to be a woman. The battle you've all been waiting to see. The battle of the sexes. You want to see it, right? Then get along and support 3CR at the Palace Withcast Cinemas, 89 High Street, Northcote, on Thursday, October 5th, from 6.30pm, for a screening of Battle of the Sexes. You're offering the men's winner eight times what you're offering the women's winner. The men are simply more exciting to watch. It's just biology. <laughs> the story of the infamous tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. Tickets are $25 and $20 concession. You can purchase online at 3cr.org.au direct from the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or by phoning 9419-8377 during business hours. All funds raised go to keeping 3CR on air. Battle of the Sexes screening, Thursday, October the 5th from 6.30pm. Does she have the nerve? Call Barbie. Time it's on. That should be a very interesting film to see because Billie Jean King was such a fantastic tennis player, an amazing feminist. Okay, now we move on to the um, activist calendar. And, of course, you're listening to Green Lapwick Radio on 3CR. So let's look at what's happening. Um, IPAN, which is having a national conference. IPAN, what's it stand for, um, Jacob? Um International Peace. Peaceful Australian Network. Independent yes. Independent Peaceful Australian Network. Australia Network. Yep. They're having a conference at the MUA building, 46 Island Street, North Melbourne. And they're on Facebook, and you can get tickets via that one. Um, that's on the 9th of September, which is this Sunday. Oh, 9th and 10th, this weekend, really. And Sunday again, there's another event, South East Victoria Rainbow Rally for Marriage Equality. 11 a.m., um, Burke's, Burke Park, Pakenham, um, and again, that's on Facebook. Monday, the 11th of September, there's a film screening, I Am Not Your Negro, preview screening and forum, 6.30 p.m., Acme, Fed Square in the city. Mm. And uh, Chile, September 11th, and this, is, this will be a very interesting movie to go and see. Uh, September 11 um, in Chile, tribute and memory to... It's, not, it's not actually a film, I think. It's actually just a tribute. Is it? Oh, I thought it was a film. Okay, it's a tribute and memory, yeah. And um, that's at Trades Hall, Ligon Street. And this is about the assassination of um, Salvador Allende in Chile by the CIA, um, according to information we know. Okay, you want to do the next one, Jacob? Yeah. So the next one is a public forum on from marriage equality to queer liberation. Um, it's basically going to be a discussion, you know, indicating that, you know, winning marriage rights is an important victory on the path to queer liberation, um, but at the same time it is not enough and, you know, we need to build the momentum to go beyond rights um, to, to liberation. Um, so that's happening at 6.30pm at Tuesday, September the 12th, meal from 6pm, entry by donation at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Sonson Street, and it's organised by Socialist Alliance and All Fund uh, and, and Green Left Weekly. Um, there'll be uh, a theatre, um, one of the good ones, a blackfellow science fiction exploring race and space in a galaxy far, far away. Um, so that's happening at the Mechanics Institute at 270 Sydney Road in Brunswick. On the 13th of September, which is a Sunday. 13th, um, 13th of December 30, to the September the 24th, so yep. it's a theatre run. Yep. Um, the next announcement, um, there'll be a rally for 
Student Day of Action for Marriage Equality happening at 2pm um, at the, the State Library on Wednesday, September the 13th. Uh, on Thursday, September the 14th, there'll be a film screening, um, another film screening of I Am Not Your Negro. Um, that will be happening... That will be happening at Yakmi at 6.15pm um, and they'll also be following, uh, followed by, this. what differentiates it from the previous screen we advertised before, it'll be followed by The Sound of Resistance, a performance celebrating the power of protest song. Okay, um, September 13th, which is um, 13th to the 29th of September, comedy. So those who want to relax and have a good laugh, the world according to Mrs. Barbwire and visit Come and visit a poor old woman in her native environment, uh, which is a lounge, and she chats and uh, sings songs about her life. So the good, bad, and the ugly, mainly ugly. Um, Then meet the man behind her pulling the strings. In autobiography, you decide what's fact or fiction, so that should be interesting. And on the same day, September 13th, um, there's a rally, student rally. I just advertised that before. Oh, sorry. Okay. So on Thursday, 14th, did you do that? You've yeah. Done, yeah, we, 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 we've printed that twice. Sorry for, um, to listen about that. Friday, 15th, Fala Kuti, opposite people. Fala Kuti was a legend, a luminary and dissident, a mystic, a pan-Africanist and activist. He pioneered the sounds and spirits of Afrobeat, a style of music that's been that's blended jazz and funk with proactive political relics, relics and traditional African rhythm, fellows irresistible music. And that's at the Wheeler Center, 6.15 p.m., 176 Little Lonsdale Street. That's a Friday, 15th of September. And Saturday, there's another film, Guarding the Galilee, which I think people probably have heard about. Inspiring documentary on Fed Square's big screen. Uh, it's about the Adani mines, of course, and um, come along and, and support the organisation that is uh, running that campaign. So that's at 6.30 at Fed Square. Um, Sunday, the 17th of September through to the 1st of October, Political Asylum, Mateship 2017, uh, more Dato and Dato, then Dato, an hour of reflection on the, our nature of identity. Am I Aussie enough? Is my mateship broken? Join renowned satirists to- Toby Halligan and Matthew Connelly as they try to understand the national identity live on stage, featuring stand-up comedy, comedy surprise segments and special guests. This show will either in- con- conclusively define Aussie mateship or die choking on a snack. Please arrive at the venue early if you would like to guarantee a seat. It's at 5.30 p.m., $15 per person. The Brunswick Green front room, and for booking, you can book online if you go if you look for um, that particular um, venue. Sunday, the September 13th again, there's a rally from Charlottesville to Melbourne, United to Fight, the far right. The 17th of September, a motley crew of far right groups together with um, known fascists have called a, a demonstration in more Melbourne targeting First Nations, African and migrant youth. Um, they say it's a rally against crime. We know it's thinly veiled racism and scapegoating. So the meeting will be at 11.30 at the State Library to hear addresses from community members and activists before marching as a united bloc on the far right 
at the Parliament House. Um, First Nations people and the African community, 1130 State Library. And that's on the Sunday. Jacob. Uh, uh, the next interview on line four. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Monday, um, 18. Um, One more announcement, then we can go to the interview. Yep. All right. So Monday, 18, um, there'll be film screening Prison Songs, uh, a groundbreaking documentary that gives voice to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people shot entirely behind bars. This uh, funny yet achingly sad account of eventful lives is delivered via the musical performance of real inmates. That's going to be happening at 8 p.m. Um, at the Kensington Neighbourhood House. Okay. So now we will go to the next interview. Uh, and that'll be with Lucho. Yeah. Okay. And right. Lucho's so, from Lasnet. So we have um, Lucho on the line here from Lasnet. Um, what does Lasnet stand for? Lasnet, I think, is Latin American Solidarity uh, Network. What? Network. Network. <laughs> Network. Yes. <laughs> Latin Thanks, American Lucho. Solidarity. Network. <laughs> right. So um, we've got Lucho um, on the line here to talk about because basically we're. Next Monday will be September 11, and now many listeners probably, because of the mainstream media, probably associate, you know, September 11 with the very tragic the Twin USA, Tower, yes. um, Twin Tower attacks, which is a tragedy. We don't want to downplay that. But September 11 was also a day of another tragedy, which was what happened in Chile, um, 1979, um, when, when a democratically elected um, government was... You know, basically, a, a sap was basically overthrown in a coup, by, um, funded by the United States. Um, so, Lucho, you, um, what, what, um, what do you, um, what is kind of like, you know, the significance of September 11 um, in terms of Chile? Oh, it's, uh, it's a tragic. It's because uh, after three years of uh, popular government, uh, the for historical. Historical government because it was the first uh, uh, Marxist uh, candidate who was elected as president in Latin America after after what having happened in Cuba and all the you know all, all the a lot of uh, changes happening in Latin America during the 60s and 70s. So in, in 1970, Allende, Allende was elected uh, president and he was uh, attacked, especially from the United States. And Georgia was Nixon government, and and they said uh, they're gonna destroy Chile because of this, uh, uh, because they were scared to to build another Cuba, another Cuba in, in Latin America. That's why they organized and I'm back to helping the the right wing people and right wing organizations to to help them to orchestrate and uh, and uh, I made this coup d'état, this military. Uh, which uh, destroy Chile, destroy democracy, and it's something similar they want to do with Venezuela at the moment. I was just thinking so, that, Lucho. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, very, it's very close, very close to happening in Venezuela. And unfortunately, the army was in, was against Salvador uh, uh, Allende, and they did the the, the coup in 1973 on the 11th of September. That's why we are doing a tribute and uh, remembering on. On Monday, this Monday, the 11th, at Trice Hall, we're going to do at 6 30 p.m. So we're going to, do a, we're going to pay tribute and hmm. talking about what, what's the significance of this day to Chile and Latin America. 
Mm. It's interesting for me because um, about over 4,000 people were killed in that attempted coup. Well, it was a successful coup, I suppose, by the CIA and, and uh, the U.S. And yet, you, you know, people consistently talk about, maybe it's because a bit more recent, about the Twin Tower attack, which is tragic in itself. But mm-hmm. nobody talks about the Chilean coup, which destroyed a country. Is that significant? <laughs> yes, totally. totally Still, there is... Uh uh, 1,000 disappeared, or more than, mm. than 1,000 disappeared people who haven't, who haven't been found. So, still a lot of happening, a lot of happening in Chile. And mm. Already, it's 44 years after the coup, so... And what followed after the coup is also really significant, isn't it? Yes, it's really important, and because in, well, in, 19, in 1990, we had again uh, the so-called uh, civil government, uh, like a protected democracy government started in 1990, and we still we still doing a lot of a lot of situations, a, a lot of happening there. Still, because we have a very uh, bracket, very successful, you know, uh, neoliberal government, and and Chile is is one of the most unequal country in the world, and there's a lot of problems there still, you know. And Pinochet was um, in, uh, instated by the U.S. government, wasn't it? Sorry, Pinochet. What have we Was in, insta um, installed, uh, like basically put into power by the U.S. Oh, government? Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he was uh, helping with him, and and uh, because you know the context in 1970, we have the the, the successful uh, Cuban revolution, and they tried to. Dismantle all the government who want to be close to that, and that's why uh, Allende was uh, in power for he was in office for three years, and they organized the CIA and all the all the agencies of the United States organized uh, a lot of action against against Allende, and uh, Pinochet was very close support of Allende. Hmm. And yeah, then he, he changed. Was, <laughs> she said it away because he was. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and he was leading this that this this military action against the government, and and uh, do, do, before that, you know, the the CIA supporting a lot of plots against the government, a lot of sabotages, a lot of a lot of action, a lot of strike. If you see the Venezuela situation is very similar, so the United States helped a lot to 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 delegitimate delegitimate the, the government. Um, and for the first uh, 10, 15 years, was very close support to the United States. Even Milton Friedman went there. Uh, Milton Friedman, went, went, if he went to talk about uh, economic in 74, 75, he was very close uh, advisor of Pinochet. Hmm. And all the atrocities people suffered under yeah. Pinochet is well known. And he was also very close to Margaret Thatcher of the U- UK, wasn't he? Yeah. His, his father, his uncle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Very close, very good friend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, one thing I just want to quickly ask um, Lucho is, um, can you tell us about the art exhibition of um, September 11 that's um, sort of happening right now? Because I, uh, I was, also, it's a photo yeah. exhibition. Photo exhibition. Yeah, photo exhibition. Yeah, we also is in transfer now. It's going to be open until Friday the 15th. Um, this, this photo exhibition talks about different... Stage of, of the of these forty four years, 
Um, but we have a, this is a section about the struggle of Mapuche, indigenous people in Chile, uh, where this, uh, this is at the moment very in the front of the struggle against, uh, against this, 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 this democracy or government. And because they are, they are demanding the land and it's a lot of repression against them happening right now. You know, they are militarized uh, the indigenous areas in the south of Chile. And the government is usually using the anti-terrorist law against indigenous people. And there is about 60, 70 Mapuche political prisoners at the moment now, right now. And that's why we, we have tried to combine or uh, to actualize this uh, the situation of 44 years of the coup with, with what happened today with the struggle of the students, the struggle of people, the struggle of workers mm. against the so-called social country. Because everybody thinks that the president, because he's for, for this, uh, from the Socialist Party, would, should be progressive, but this Socialist Party is, is neoliberal Socialist mm. Party. We call them neoliberal Socialist Party. <laughs> Mm. Yes, I know. It's a bit like the Hitler's yes. party, isn't it? Yes. They, they use the word no, socialist. Socialist, but no, no the other one, no. No, no, they misuse it and then yes. socialism yes. is a bad name. Yeah, they say they want to humanize, you know, make the capitalists more humane. Yes. That's the idea, and that's impossible. Possible to, human, to make more human because they're listening. Mm. So, so mm. impossible. Mm. And you've so, got, uh, so the photo exhibition is on the 11th of September. Actually, it's, it's September 5th. It's, it's happening now. It's already, it's already now. It's already on now. It started last Tuesday. Yep. And it's going to be open until the next Friday, the 15th. Okay. In Strikes Hall from 10 o'clock to 6 p.m. So it's open. Okay, that's just as a trade hall. Great. Uh, and we have this function this uh, Friday, so sorry, this Monday, the 11th. Yep. Well, we will pay tribute and talk about what happened. Oh, that, that should be interesting. And you also have a culture and film night remembering the Yeah, event. on M- MUA. It's going to be in MUA. On yes. Saturday, we want to show a movie. Yep. I'm going to have some uh, people singing. This, we want to show a new movie about Allende, and and we're going to have musicians and some people who will say some words. Mm. Okay, thank you so much, Lucho. That's great because, um, uh, to, uh, you know, the, the, the era of Trump is, is attacking the Latin American countries and we see that yep. in, in Venezuela. So we need people to mobilize and support um, events like this where we discuss the politics of what's actually happening um, and what's happened uh, and trace the history and understand the dynamics of what's happening. Um, so thank you so much, and no hopefully people come and, and, and support you in all these events. Thank you very much, and this Monday, so 6.30 and thanks. Absolutely. Thank you so thank much. You. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, bye. Thank you. Okay, so uh, let me just play a um, ID. Estás sintonizando 3CR. 
And if you're not a subscriber already, please do subscribe um, to this uh, alternative news uh, medium, which is important these days when you've got such biased news, like um, the reporting of the the tragic events in the U.S. has dominated um, the news, while the even more tragic event that's happening in in um, Bangladesh, India and Nepal where floods and there are hundreds of thousands of people who have been stranded and, and hundreds killed has not been covered as well. So there's uh, absolute racism in the way they cover the news and even uh, Media Watch criticized the ABC for that. So this station is um, definitely worth supporting and particularly our program. We still um, trying to meet our target for the um, mm. you know fundraiser for our program. So people who enjoy our program, please dig deep and give us um, some donations so that we can keep the program on air. So let's go on to round up the news, um, Jacob. Yeah. We'll talk so about- we'll talk about this is the back cover of the latest Green Left Weekly. Um, it's about resisting um, D- um, Dutton's latest cruelty, um, Let Them Stay, written by um, Zebedee Parks um, from Green Left Weekly. Um, this the federal, he writes here, the federal immigration minister, Peter Dutton, has come up with a new act of cruelty against um, asylum seekers. He is trying to force people now in Australia back to danger in Nauru and Manus. Basically, Dutton has invented a new class of visa, the final departure bridging um, e-visa, which cuts income support from asylum seekers already living in community. They've been given six months to arrange to either go back to their home countries or be sent back to offshore detention. As if it were not bad enough, asylum seekers targeted with final departure visas will also lose income support of about $200 a fortnight. They have been sent a letter from the Immigration Department stating you'll be expected to support um, yourself in the community until departing Australia. They're also being denied government-funded housing. This is kind of like, you know, the federal government's latest cruel attempt to deport asylum seekers who have been evacuated from Manus and Nauru for to Australia for medical treatment um, and, and you know, about 400 people are facing Dutton's new deportation event. Some have been living in Australia for years after being transferred here for medical reasons. The group includes families of children in schools and babies born here. It includes women who have been sexually assaulted on Manus Island and children who are beaten up to the point they needed to be evacuated for urgent medical attention. 100 people are expected to find work and a new place to live immediately. If they cannot, they will be transferred back to Manus, Nauru or their country of origin. The the federal government has already transferred a 58-year-old Rohingya man back to Manus Island. This comes in the wake of massacres of stateless Rohingya in the Rakhine region by the Myanmar army, including the shooting of unarmed children. This yet again shows why people are seeking asylum and should not be forced back to the country from which they fled. We didn't get a chance to talk about um, Naomi Klein's contribution and in relation to the tornadoes in... Um, um, we spoke about that last week. Oh, did you? Okay. All right. So, but it's still significant, something that is in this week's um, Green Enough Weekly, people might want to read. And I also want to point uh, a couple of articles to the listeners where we've covered um, Latin American news. There's news on what's happening in Venezuela and why Trump is, is totally behind the... Uh, you know, horrible events that are happening in Venezuela. And there's also news on Honduras and the coup there. 
and also in um, about what's happening in Argentina. So the, the paper's full of very interesting news that you wouldn't otherwise hear from the mainstream media. So let's round, um, wind up the program. So let's thank Subul, who is standing as a candidate for the local council in Geelong mm. for mm. being available this morning. And of course, Lucho, who we just interviewed about what's happening in the um, Lesnet uh, community and the events about Chile and the uh, I guess um, tribute to um, you know to the the people who struggled in Chile in September 11, 1979, with the assassination of Allende, uh, El Salvador Allende uh, by the CIA, and the attack on Latin America continues as uh, we said um, on on Venezuela at the moment. And of course, we interviewed Habib from the Rohingya community, and that is another very sad. Um, event which has been ongoing for many decades or probably centuries um, and of course colonialism again has created a disparity and the genocide is on it reminds me of Sri Lanka where the Tamils are being hunted by the Sinhalese again this divide and rule um, and greed for land um, seems to dominate mm. now just a quick reminder this program will be available on podcast within the next week and um, if you've been listening to us, don't forget, help us financially to support Keep the Program Online. Thank you very much for listening. And we shall be back next week. So I shall play a song. Oh, no, we'll play the outro. <laughs> oh, yeah, we could, but it's short. That's anything. It's, um, yeah, we'll cover enough. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1800 For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Three pieces of the show... And interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au.